Escape from Plan A. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. This is your host, Teen. Uh, I guess quick housekeeping. Uh, just want to remind everyone: thanks for uh, thanks for those who have contributed to the Patreon. You're supporting the Plan A Writers Fund, which we'll be using to pay Asian American writers. Uh, Patreon.com/slash/PlanAMag. Uh, uh, really appreciate all the support we've got so far. Um, today is a real treat. I've got two friends from Twitter. Uh, Redmond, how's it going? Hi, hi, Teen. How's it going? Good, man. And uh, Creighton, Creighton, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Uh, do you want to just give, can you both just give quickly your, like, I don't know, plug anything you want or your Twitter handles where people can find you? Um, you can find me at uh, Diaspora is Red. Uh, that's Diaspora underscore is underscore Red. Um, I do uh, leftist Asian American communist uh, tweeting. Um, just started recently. I, I didn't really use uh, Twitter before for a while, but um I started this project in about November of last year, and it's been a lot of fun so far. Creighton, how about you? Um, so I I have a personal account, which is where a lot of people amongst like Asian left Twitter know me on, which is people can people can request to follow it. I have no problem accepting that. So that's oh, your de- your dark Creighton web. Ward. Uh huh. Yeah, and then nice. I I made a public one today because I wanted. Um, an account that I could engage with other people on public too. So my public account is at CWZAJ. Um, and that's my public account that people can feel free to follow. Um, and I'm, I'm, that account is newer. Um, I'm, I've been on Twitter for a long time, but I'm newer to like Asian left Twitter because I only started really, you know, thinking about these kind of things and, and getting into Marxism Leninism recently. Um, so it, my account isn't as intentional as Redmond's, but, um, I'd love to connect with other people on it. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah, and I'll pull, I'll put the, uh, the handles in the show notes and everything. Um, yeah, so I, I'm really excited about talking to y'all because, um, I'm, I guess I'm fairly new to Twitter, maybe like, I don't know, um, not quite two years or whatever. And I had always kind of grown up, I grew up in like a, my fa- my family, they were from China and uh, I always thought that we were really kind of like bizarre because like my parents had pretty deeply held socialist beliefs. And I, I thought like we were, I don't know, even up until recently, I thought that was a fairly unique thing to my family. And when I went on Twitter, um, I saw a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but like a locus of Asian American left Twitter. And I might put up some other handles or something in the show notes of other people. Um, that that are kind of associated and connected with um, with your Twitter, uh, Redmond, and it's just boggle. It was just really really interesting to me, and so I wanted to con- I wanted to connect and just find out sort of how you all got connected with each other, or whether you even consider yourself connected, or whether it just kind of recently coalesced, and what motivates uh, you to do. Asian American communist tweeting because <laughs> people, I mean, I really encourage people to go check out the, the, I mean, Redmond's Twitter and everyone else is kind of associated with it. Cause it's, it's, it's quite hilarious. Um, but also, uh, it's great. Yeah. 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 
so what what was the what was sort of the like how did you get like how did you get so red you know and, and uh what motivated the project yeah um so for you know like a long time i i think we both kind of understand we kind of came from a you know kind of liberal background and stuff and uh during the 2016 election, particularly, you know, there was a huge discussion about what what is the nature of of you know liberalism and and what what did you know the Democratic Party really stand for in contrast to you know the Republicans and Trump and and all that stuff. Uh, I I I would say it was definitely liberal for a long time of my life. You know, the whole uh, stances for social justice, uh, economic justice, and, and anti-racism and, and pro-LGBTQ rights. Uh, but there came a point where I just didn't see where the liberal line was really advancing, uh, where it was actually standing for or advancing a type of politics and action that really, you know, tried to uh, rectify all the problems that it saw. And uh, it wasn't until, like I said, the 2016 election that I started considering what is, what really is liberalism and, and what are its limitations and, and who or what are, are trying to kind of transcend those, those limitations. And that's when I really started getting into uh, more leftist politics, uh, starting out actually with um, urbanism issues and, and stuff like that. So I was on that new urbanist memes for transit-oriented <laughs> teens group, uh, NumTot. And uh, I spent a lot of time doing reading and exploration on on transit issues and housing issues and, and how the kind of the, the commodified nature of housing doesn't lend itself to, you know, actual housing justice and just creates more homelessness. Uh, you know, plus my background in, uh, you know, I took Asian American studies courses and 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 stuff about the history of race and things like that, and so all of it kind of coalesced uh, at a point where um, it was really falling into these more radical views, and so uh, I it was really hard too because I didn't really know if there were any other Asian Americans who had you know left leaning views or, or Marxist views, and it was kind of you know lonely as well, um, so. I decided to start up the Twitter uh, to kind of express these views and externalize them and and kind of write my thoughts down and, and kind of serve as like a, uh, a point where I'm educating myself and, and learning from other people who are on left Twitter. Uh, and so that's when I started Diaspora's Red in November. And, uh, and since then, it's been a lot of uh, both reading plus memes and talking to people. And that's where I kind of got connected with uh, Crichton, actually. Um, like we mentioned earlier, uh, there was a friend of ours, another Twitter friend. Uh, she's kind of uh, famous on left Twitter. Her name was Tina. And uh, she decided to start, uh, She's a, she was a Vietnamese American communist as well. And she decided to start a group chat uh, of all the uh, oh, Asian is that, Sorry, is that Tina? Like, no? NGO is uh -huh. that? Uh, okay. I, I'm is, familiar uh, with that account. Yeah, yeah, Baby Viet Cong before uh, she got kicked off for making uh, a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. Uh, I'm she, very familiar she with that brought, account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
she brought us all together, and that's that's where we we met up. And there was about a dozen of us in in this group chat, and uh, we kind of uh, you know shot the shit and like, oh my god, we're all yeah. you know Asian Americans or, or Asian diaspora, uh, you know, across the world, and we're also communists. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that that's how it kind of started. Creighton, what about you? Like you're 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 pretty young, right? Like you yeah. uh, are fairly fresh out of college. I'm curious, mm-hmm. like, yeah. uh, uh, yeah, I'm much older. I'm like 40. I'm curious for a young Asian American uh, coming out of college, sort of like in the Trump era. Uh, is 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 tr- was Trump also sort of like a triggering event to sort of point you towards the left or? Was it was it something like in your family or what was it? So I would say that the election did have um, a pretty big role in that kind of push towards the left, because I think the election really highlighted for me, like how much liberal democracy had failed people in this country and um, how many people were alienated by it, um, were victims of it and how inadequate it is. Uh, But like before that, so I, I'm actually adopted, and so I grew up in a really, really white community, and then I, I really didn't even think critically about like being Asian or being Asian American, or um, I, I wasn't even like moved towards radical politics until pretty recently, actually. Um, and I think that kind of started happening for me when I started to engage with, um, I guess, left book is what we call it now, right? So there was this huge group, POC Aesthetics, that I was in, in like 2016. So this was around the same time as the election. And that really exposed me to a lot of perspectives and viewpoints. um, And a lot of people with ethnic pride that I wasn't exposed to. Um, In a lot of ways, I really feel like I didn't have an Asian American or an Asian community because I didn't grow up in an Asian household. I didn't grow up in um, a place like, uh, I don't know, like like towns in the West Coast where there are a lot of Asian Americans. I just never had that. And I didn't really have it in college either. I couldn't find it amongst the Asian Americans um, who I went to school with. And I have it online now, which is, it's, it's funny because like, I don't know these people in real life, but I feel really connected to them. Um, but to answer your question about younger people and, and radical politics. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people even in high school are being pushed towards socialism. And um, I, I don't want to give too much credit to Bernie and people like AOC because, you know, we can, we can talk about why, you know, they're not really doing socialism. But I think the fact that people kind of see it as an option now and like as a political possibility and and the word is getting out there i think that's been really important for younger people who are disenchanted and disillusioned by liberal democracy the democratic party um in mainstream politics yeah i think um that's really interesting i think um which, by the way, regarding um, you being adopted, you know, something I've noticed, um, which is really interesting, is like in doing this pod, like uh, I've come across a lot of Asian Americans who are trans, I assume you're transracial adoptee, like you have like a mm-hmm. non-Asian family. Yes. Uh, a yeah. lot of transracial adoptees who are pretty active in in, in mm-hmm. politics and also like, I mean, we, we've done like a lot of pods on that and... Uh, Mark, who is on the pod a lot with me, is also transracial adopting mm-hmm. himself. Um, yeah, it's just really that 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 was something that had, had been eye opening as we as we did Plan mm-hmm. A was like how represented us uh, 
a, a group that is in a lot of um, Asian American spaces, which was, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, seemed like a very positive thing. Uh, but for for the left, like for me, it seems like for the left, I don't know how you all feel about this, but right now it's still pretty like, you know, kind of fringe and uh, might veer, you know, really towards youth. And it seems to me for now, at least, um, it appears to be mostly uh, um, an, like a sort of resistance type movement. And and one thing I've really, as something that's really eye-opening to me, is how capitalism has become a bad word. That was unthinkable. Uh, you know, just maybe like, you know, even after the financial crisis, I don't think people were quite... I mean, it, it started to happen, I think, around 2008, 2009. Right, um, right. But the speed at which the word capitalism has come to take on a really, really negative connotation, especially among youth, is shocking to me. And the other thing about, um, you know, the, this like locus of leftist Twitter is this skewering of the term boba liberalism, which Redmond, I believe you invented, right? And... Uh, I think it's such a great memeable word because uh, do you want to just describe what boba liberalism sort of means to you and and kind of where it came from? Sure, yeah. So uh, boba liberalism really just refers to the type of um, mainstream liberal Asian American politics that we kind of encounter in our everyday lives. Um, I I thought of the term when I was first creating the uh, my my Twitter account. Um, I was trying to think of a way to kind of describe what I was doing and and what I was going to be talking about in my Twitter bio. Um, so I thought, you know, as as a communist, as a Marxist, um, I'm going to be spending a lot of time attacking and critiquing liberalism. Um, but from an Asian American perspective, I decided to add, you know, boba to it because you know it's it's a sweet, it's a popular thing. It's not very offensive. Um, but it's also not that good for you, uh, from a health yes. uh, point of view <laughs> and, right, right. um, you know, it's just empty calories. So I was like, you know, that, that kind of fits. So I decided to, to, you know, slap on boba to liberalism to kind of talk about what Asian American politics is like, uh, you know, in this decade and what, what are some of the limitations that, that comes with that politics. And I think, um, you know, we wanted to get into like what that was at some point, uh, but that that's kind of how I've defined it. Yeah. Just to give like listeners a set, like your pin tweet is that in the future, late capitalist dystopian hellscape of 20XX, we will exhaust all possible Boba pun portmanteau type cafe names, examples, Bobatopia, WT Boba, Bobalicious, as we reach peak market saturation and face Asian American cultural stagnation. And I think... <laughs> It's it's got a lot of in there. Like it's got a lot of there's capitalist realism as an as a, as a concept sort of kind of baked into it. And you just it's like stuff like this that um, really caught my attention. And I don't know, just just wanted to be on the pod, but you couldn't make it. Um, like we both just like constantly crack up when we see this because for me anyway, uh, I recognize. I don't know. There's just an immediate recognition when you say boba liberalism, what it means. Uh, I kind of know it when I see it. And for some reason, I always think of like Southern California and I, you know, it's really focused there. And I, I remember like, I went out to go visit a friend 
Uh, I got a, I got quite a few friends. I live in New York, but I got a lot of friends in LA who I go visit, um, you know, occasionally. And I go there and I meet like my West Coast doppelganger. His name is, it rhymes completely with my name, like first and last name together. I go to his house. So he's a friend of a friend. I go straight to his house and I'm like, this is pure Boba liberal guy. Um, this is like right after Trump was elected. And I go to his house. It's like in West LA. It's brand new house. And I walk in and he's got like a giant like portrait of like a, like a wedding portrait of him and his like of him and his bride, like hanging <laughs> this giant mm-hmm. thing, just hanging down on me. And then, I, you know, he's having like a Mahjong party and, and people are playing Mahjong and the kids are watching, uh, you know, a Disney Blu-ray. And, uh, you know, my doppelganger, my Boba liberal doppelganger comes to me and he was like, um, you know, hands me a single malt. And he starts telling me about how he's freaking out over Trump. And I find this to be a good sign. I'm like, oh, wow, great. You know, these guys on the West Coast are talking about this stuff, too. And so we're, you know, we're swigging a little and he goes, um, you know, I told my mother to back out of this purchase contract for a home right in this area because I'm really worried that, you know, Trump being elected, it's going to collapse the housing market. And I was like, interesting. Okay, so you see a lot of calamity coming from this. And he was like, well, the thing is, comps in the area have actually held up and and in fact, in places have gone up a little. So I'm thinking this whole thing's overblown. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so the comps in the area are good. So Trump's cool. And he's like, well, if you think about it, I mean, on the immigration stuff, he's just right. I mean, you know, there's a way to come in here the way we did it. We came in here legally. You know what I mean? And there's a little bit of a wink. And this happens with Boba liberals in me. Like they kind of wink, wink at me because they like assume that, you know, we see things the same way. And then, uh, you know, and then he's just like, yeah, but the whole thing's overblown because I I just don't think that this is going to have a real effect on housing prices. And then we spend the rest of the night talking about, you know, how he hates his floors and he's going to he's going to they're the wrong color. And we spend about an hour talking about all the ways that he could, um, you know, have the builder come and change it. That's Boba liberalism to me. I was like, I don't know. It was very, uh, it, it was, it was just a very dire situation uh, <laughs> to, to, you know, to see Asian Americans that I would consider very heavily, you know, they're very Asian identified people, you know, right. and they're quote politically aware and all this stuff, but it kind of just boils down to like real estate prices for them and, you know, sort of like the regular trappings of sort of, a careerist lifestyle and I can't really fault them in a way, but I also know for me personally that it's, it's sort of an empty uh, approach because it just, I don't know. It just, uh, it, to me, there's just too, it's too um, narrow focused and it, you know, it just gets you, makes you very out of touch. And I would say Boba liberals in Southern California are very out of touch is kind of how I feel. Um, (laughs) That's Boba liberalism to me. I don't know how you all feel, but, in my generation, that's kind of how it is. No, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, the situation you described, um, you know, that that's capitalist realism in action, right? It's it's expecting right, that, oh, right. the future is just going to be, we're going to move into a big house in Irvine, we're going to have a beautiful lawn, and we're going to, you know, we've made it, fam, and, and you know, we overcame racism. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the planet's being destroyed by you know, the forces of overproduction, capitalism, and, and you know, the United States government is invading all sorts of countries to destabilize them and make them safe for, 
you know, capitalist uh, accumulation and, and, and corporations to go in and, and extract those resources. So it's this very like myopic uh, view of, of the future, right? It's, it's what is the expectation of Asian American life, uh, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. And when you ask people um, from, from those coming from those places, it's just like, oh yeah, you just think everything's going to kind of stay the same and we'll, we'll all have our lawns and, and we'll uh, hire the gardeners to come in every uh, Friday and things will be uh, just dandy once we get rid of Trump. So what's your take on this? What do you what do you think needs to be done? Are you trying to provoke people into sort of I mean because you're because you're coming at this from a like um like a memeish it's it's funny. You know, are you <laughs> are you trying to just sort of like poke people out of their sort of regular sensibilities and consider uh you know like for example, like you have this, you have this gif of uh, some, you know, some person swaddling their hot pot, and it, it just, it's like a, it's like the spicy kind, the mala kind, and it slowly fades in and out to the uh, hammer and sickle. Uh, that's <laughs> that's provocation, right? Like you're you're uh, you're you're challenging the notion. I feel of what Asian American identity means that there is a more radical layer to it, which actually really uh uh you know i really relate to that i mean for me because my family uh my family's from my parents are from china they always had very socialist beliefs and i think there's like two aspects to that right one was this view that america is an is an empire it's an imperial power and that as chinese uh or as asians really that you know that was embedded into our experience of uh you know of the west of america and two that having moved here that they retained a, a highly critical view of american lifestyle and priorities especially regarding this um um valorization of of wealth and mm -hmm. sort of shallowness of the culture and so I don't know when you do that provocation, it it it, it really does sort of um, connect with me in that front because I've always felt that the boba liberal looked at their parents and to the extent that they did maintain that sort of little bit more radical stance, that what they were really meant to do was sort of distance themselves from it and sort of assimilate and sort of understand that their parents are just holding on to these like outdated ideas. Uh, but I'm not so sure that that's really the right reading right now, especially post-Trump. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things going on there. In fact, um, you know, about your parents' team, I, it's very rare to, to hear that, um, you know, immigrant parents, Asian coming to the States would have more leftist views. It, it's, it's really rare, you know, as myself, who is, uh, Southeast, mixed Southeast Asian with Chinese, Cambodian, Thai, possibly even Vietnamese. Um, you know, I'm I'm coming from a background where anti-communism and anti-leftism uh, is kind of embedded in our historical experience uh, as as diaspora, and so there's a lot of things. Um, you know, as as children of 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 our parents, um, we strive to either accept, overcome, or, or, um, you know, what, 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 I, I think, um, the idea comes to mind is of, uh, of, you know, the rebellious, uh, Asian American kid who thinks like, oh, like whatever my parents believe, I'm going to 
reverse that and and not be them because I want to be uh, American or I want to be accepted. And so, um, yeah, I can kind of see how that that might play out um, from what you were describing with your parents, but um, with a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, diaspora who come from a non-leftist background, um, I think a lot of people tend to uh, reject the more what they would believe to be traditional views, cultural views, but still retain um, that kind of anti-communist, pro-capitalist outlook, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Creighton, I'm curious, like, do your parents, Mm -hmm. how do they react to, like, I I, I don't know how, if you talk to them about politics, but uh, assuming that they kind of know where you stand on the spectrum, how do they react to that? Are they comfortable with that? Or were were they like, you know, leftist hippies back in the day, too? Or like, what's going on with them? It's it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, So I I actually only have a mom. She is a single mom. And um, uh, she's you know, done a great job of raising my sister and I, um, on our own. Uh, as far as political discussions go, it's good and bad. Um, we come from different backgrounds, different experiences, obviously. And, um, my mom now is a pretty mainstream Democrat, lifelong Democrat. Um, she has a lot of democratic socialist sympathies, which has been a way for me to talk about things that we have in common. But, um, it gets harder when it comes to things like imperialism and when when I talk about China. Um, recently, we had a good conversation about the Tiananmen um, anniversary that was last week, and I thought that was really productive for us to be able to talk about it. Um, but it's not like there weren't times when it was also difficult. Um, and it's not just true of, you know, me and my family. It's also true of me and other adoptees, me and a lot of people around me, the majority of people. Um, it, it's easy to get on board with the anti-capitalist thing. Like, as you said, a lot more people are, um, are, are understanding that capitalism is not working, but it it's rarer for people to come to conclusions of socialism, um, especially, you know, like not the nice Norwegian democratic socialism, but, you know, like socialism. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been my experience with it. Yeah. So you, I think you had mentioned earlier about, you know, kind of where Bernie and AOC sort of stand on the kind of what they represent for, for, um, I guess sort of died, died in the wool leftists. Uh, you want to go into a little bit more into that? Like where, where do you, where do they, what do they represent to you? Um, what do they represent to me? Um, I'll try to get back to that question, but I think, um, it's important for people who are coming into this kind of radical consciousness, um, and especially like Asian American youth, um, as they move towards radical politics, as they become more accepting of, um, these of socialism i think it's really important for them to be critical and and honest to themselves about what their voting records are like and and like what bernie's history is like where they stand on things like venezuela on ice and um especially on those two issues they have disappointed in the recent past and i think um we need to be critical of that and it's nice that they call themselves socialists it's it's nice that people are using that word more, um, that it's not like, you know, like just discarded or dismissed at face value because socialism is bad. But I think we also need to think about 
their ideas and their vision for the future and and what kind of politics they really have and what kind of effects that has on the global south, um, how it fails to dismantle U.S. empire and how it will impact the homeland too, our homelands. Um, yeah, that that seems and, to me the part. Yeah. Sorry, that, that seems to me the part about this locus of Asian American leftists that I find most interesting is that there, there is sort of like two, there is sort of like two components to. Uh, I, I might be oversimplifying this, but th it seems like there's two broad components to the leftist identity. One is like the one is the sort of like um, sort of pro pro uh, social welfare pro. Um, I guess the, the sort of demsoc view of things. And that's really mm -hmm. concerned, I think, with stuff that's going on inside our borders. And then there's mm -hmm. this sort of more anti-imperial sort of global view. Like if someone says global south, I think that's an indicator that someone is thinking about that other side of the leftist identity. I've seen Asian American identity really trend more towards that sort of global view. And, uh, and it, that's not well represented, I feel, in the you know the candidates that we see i think the only one i don't know how you feel but the only one that i've seen really making a you know a lot of statements in that regard is like mike Ravel. but beyond oh, that like i don't yeah like he's like the only one that's even really addressing a leftist position on foreign policy but right now i think the you know leftism as practiced in america is really about sort of domestic you know domestic issues within our borders with 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 relatively little interest beyond it you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i gather that has something to do with asian american identity that there is a particular interest um for what happens uh in in our uh countries of origin and sort of this recognition of the I don't know the the often the the well to me I don't know my view is that American foreign policy there has been like one of the scourges of the earth, and which gets me to a particular for for me a particularly difficult question, which is that you know if we talk about something like white privilege and this is something I've like talked with my friends a lot about, especially now that we're ramping up hostilities with China and North Korea and all that, is yeah. there's a huge amount of white privilege that goes into the fact that like you can be extremely critical of the United States and what it does overseas uh, and not be seen as disloyal fundamentally, which is much harder to do if you're Asian American. I think that is one of the things about boba liberalism that I think makes it kind of a safe identity is we lack the ability to be critical of the US without looking disloyal or anti-American in some way. Uh, do you ever, I don't know, do you ever think about, do you ever think about that? Like when you're tweeting something that's pro-communist that, 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 that might make you look disloyal or, or make your account seem disloyal? Oh, all the time. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a fundamental question, right? Like what is it, what does it mean to be Asian American or Asian diaspora, diaspora? Like, you know, the, the, the popular, you know, I would say the boba liberal narrative or the liberal narrative is that, you know, we, we come here as immigrants, we struggle with racism and inequality, um, you know, and, and there's things like white privilege and, and police brutality and, and discrimination. 
but then, you know, as part of that narrative, we somehow managed to carve out our own uh, people of color space. And eventually we overcome those barriers, you know, to gain equity. And we're finally accepted as immigrants by the white people, right? <laughs> and then yeah. we go on to live in Irvine or Mountain View because we went, we finally went to college and got some good jobs after, after school and, um, and equality, right? And we go live our, the rest of our lives, uh, drinking bubble tea and driving around the suburbs on our way to get cream barbecue and leaving snooty Yelp reviews. Um, but really it's when you interrogate the idea of what does it mean to be Asian American or diaspora? It's, it's something beyond that because, because when we identify the issue of imperialism, we're, we're identifying this is the process that creates diaspora, that, that forces people to leave, you know, their ancestral homes, our parents or, or us, if we were, you know, really small kids uh, who were born there. Um, and we become diaspora. And this process, these forces still exist to, to this day. Like the Vietnam War may be over, but the, the whole political and military um, structure that, that, the, that is the United States uh, still exists and it still does the same activities that it did, you know, in the fifties, in the thirties to the Philippines, to, to all these countries around the world. And there's this tendency, I think in, you know, immigrant kid circles to think that when we arrive off the boat or the planes our kind of history resets, right. And all we have to worry about is what's right here in front of us, um, that we can just worry about, you know, getting the education, making it through school, going to college, finding a good job, getting wealthy, and then, you know, you move to a suburb or you move to uh, Soho in, in LA and, um, and you go live next to some cranky Vietnam War vet that was just dropping napalm on you, uh, 40, your family 40 years ago, but you've since made up and you're glad you can be friends now. And then, you know, you can forget all these past things, right? Um, But no, the, the, that whole military, political and economic process that is imperialism, you know, which is, you know, the fruit of American capitalism, uh, you know, that's carried out the, by, by the United States and destabilizes countries and creates d- more diaspora, you know, it just still goes on through this day. Um, you know, it was Southeast Asia and China in the last century. And today in this century, it's the Middle East, it's Africa again, uh, Eastern Europe and, and South America again. Um, and so we're kind of dealing with this sort of myopic view, right? That is, that is Asian American liberalism in that, you know, oh, we just have to accept, get accepted by America, the, the idea of America, and we just have to make it in this country. Uh, you know, and we're thinking once we come here, the problems of the old world, quote unquote, kind of go away. But they don't because, you know, as, as I said, the, the American state continues to wage, you know, all sorts of bloody wars for oil and resources and to keep compradors in our home countries uh, friendly to Exxon Mobil and Nestle uh, across the globe, and and from that, more and more people are forced to flee their homes to seek out, you know, the very country that that takes their land and their wealth, uh, and and this process goes on whether the the Asian American liberals care or not, and you know, I, you know, in the last couple of years, we know we've heard of. Um, you know, as the U.S. turned its sights on Asia and, and the Pacific, remember Obama talked about uh, the pivot to Asia, right? Um, sure. The, like, mm-hmm. the likelihood that more activities, military and, and disruptive activities, are going to be aimed at destabilizing our very homelands 
um, could again create a very new wave of, of diaspora who are our own people, right? They speak our language, but they have a very different experience than we did growing up here in the States. Uh, you know, and I think that if that ever happens, us who grew up here would have a lot of trouble relating to to that experience. I, I don't know for sure, but but that's that's my theory. And and not only that, we have climate change and pollution to contend with, and there's this kind of looming realization that our own motherlands are going to be affected in this catastrophic way that that you don't really think of when you're worrying about am I going to be able to buy a house in Irvine and cash in on my my job and my 401k and and you know is my investment property going to be all right um, or am I going to go get boba tomorrow or or later tonight with my friends. <laughs> Um, so this, <laughs> so this whole idea of, of you know being Asian American seems to fall apart when, you know, it can't just be about being POC and American, surviving racism and inequality. Uh, but thank God we'll one day finally make it and and be in the laurels of fame and get our representation in Hollywood. It has to be about the broader process and the experience and effects of the deliberate acts of imperialism by you know the corporate military state. Uh, you know, the the effects that that has on our homelands that that forces people to either leave or 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 suffer in our homelands, you know, both historically and contemporarily, um, you know, from the last century to today. Uh, and so that process goes on. And when you really think about it, like the whole hyphen American that gets slapped on to being Asian becomes, uh, you know, and, and this is going to sound kind of like my old liberal self, problematic. Um, and so when you interrogate, what does it mean to be, you know, that American portion? It's this whole baggage of history that, that we have to contend with and that you can't really forget and just let go of um, once you get to America because that history goes on with or without you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and you know, I I feel actually that the that the the case for the left, the sort of anti-imperial view, is pretty strong. I mean, I don't think I don't think that a, a human being um, is it's it's really. I mean, if you're open-minded to the the presentation that um, uh, that that the case for questioning the sort of goodness of America as a as a global actor is really all that hard to reach right and and even now i think even even in america i think the dominant narrative for something like the vietnam war while still you know fundamentally apologetic to itself could no longer even maintain the facade that it was justified same with the Iraq war. Right. Like even mm -hmm. the the mainstream view of American policy is actually quite critical of itself. And and so I think the case is actually pretty strong, but the reason I think people are resistant to it really comes down to issues of loyalty. And that's why I think Bobolibs and other other types remain um willingly ignorant of a lot of this stuff. Or if they know, they just kind of say, Well, it doesn't really have to do with me. I mean, I don't live there or whatever. And um, uh, I create an apologies for like bringing in um, uh, adoptee issues, but it makes me think of something that that my that my buddy. Yeah, no, it makes me think of something that my buddy Mark um, says to me all the time. He's Korean. Uh, 
uh, but raised by uh, white Jewish parents um, on the East Coast. Uh, and he said that like, a, and he's really involved in, in, in um, adoptee issues and organizations. And he said that one of the big topics that, that just is, it's really, really difficult for him to get his point across to people um, is this issue um, of gratitude. That there's an attitude, that there's a both an expectation um, on the part of adoptive parents as well as a sense of obligation on the part of adoptees, that there's a sense of gratitude that's owed, and it makes it really difficult for him to express um, his critical views of the international adoption system, right? And I and I find that that's like relevant here in a way, in in a in in a sense because. As a, I'm not adopted, but as an Asian American in America, and I hear Redmond telling me about like, you know, get ahead, do well in school, get a, you know, it's hard not to feel a sense of uh, gratitude and obligation. Where, yeah, I mean, it's true, America has paved the way for you know a lot of us to enter the upper middle class and above, and you know, pursue our, you know, our our personal goals and our dreams and our interests with you know a high degree of relative freedom. And, you know, I think it's really ultimately comes down to these issues for, for me. It's about my uh, 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 sense of obligation to not be overly critical of a country that still, as Asian Americans, we still fundamentally have a guest mentality in. And that's kind of a holdover, I think, for, you know, for immigrants, especially racial minority immigrants, to get, it's hard to get out of that mindset that, oh, no, this is your home. You live here. You have full equity rights here. And I, I just see, like, white people um, have a much, I think, more, a much more runway in terms of, you know, being critical. And I think, uh, for me anyway, um, yeah, I guess that's 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 kind of where I... Uh, where I see the adoptee discourse sort of almost guiding guiding my feelings on this, if you will. Yeah, I think I think you make a great point, and I've only recently like connected in with like adoptee circles online and and through my mother. Um, and I think it's really interesting because for me, thinking critically about my own adoption was a radicalizing thing, and I think that could happen for a lot of adoptees, a lot of transracial, transnational adoptees, but you know, when I get into these spaces, it turns out that a lot of these people are very, like, they hold very reactionary and, like, deeply, like, yeah, yeah. very I've, I've seen committed it. to yeah. America. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm sure you have. I, I'm sure you know what I mean. But, yeah. um, but yeah, that's true. The gratitude thing, I've, I've even, like, talked about this in therapy, too. It's, it's, like, it's very real. And I think the way that I've expressed it is that whether this was said explicitly to me or not, the message that I had always gotten was that I was lucky to be in this country. I was lucky to have been separated from my birth parents. I was lucky to not have grown up in rural China, where I'm from. I'm from Hunan. Um, and so that was always the kind of the message I was receiving. And people did expect gratitude from me. People didn't understand how I could be unhappy about like anything in my life really because they saw the alternative from this like nice middle class um, American suburban life that I have that I grew up with um, the alternative to that was growing up in rural Hunan um, and 
I think people really look down on that. I think white Americans, like the people I grew up with, didn't understand that there could be dignity in that kind of life. And they look down on Chinese people as well. So it's really hard to make a case that like, well, if I had a choice, I think I would like to stay with them, right? And mm -hmm. so that kind of guest mentality has been present for the majority of my life. And I think I've only recently gotten over it. Um, and to address your question about like, oh, like, do I feel any sense of allegiance to this country? I honestly, I don't anymore. Um, and that's not really something that crosses my mind anymore. I mean, I'm pretty open about not feeling connected or, or you know, like allegiant to the United States, but. I want to address that for a sec. Um regarding allegiance i i um you know i've thought about this a lot too and i think that i mean i don't want to overstep my boundaries here but when talking with my with with mark about it i think he was able i think to agree with me that a lot of the experience a lot of the experiences he had in some sense they're of a degree rather than kind meaning like you know this guest mentality mm -hmm. or this alternate life that we could have been living in like some bumblefuck mm -hmm. area of China, but for the grace of America, it actually applies to, mm -hmm. you know, it, it would apply to Asian American immigrants that come over with mm -hmm. their families to some, but to a much lesser degree, but it's still, there's still that a shared sense of that. And I, I just think it's, it's maybe it's just a lot more intense and, and enveloping for uh, transracial adoptees. But regarding the, um, the the issue of allegiance i take a lot of uh guidance from something that i had heard uh noam chomsky say before about that because i think he's been asked that question a lot too i don't know how you all feel about chomsky but he was sort of like <laughs> like a in intellectual hero of mine growing up but i'm open to right. criticisms i don't care uh but uh but but he does say things that i think are are relevant here and he said that when he's asked this question of whether he's why does he focus on criticizing America and seems to be relatively um, not as critical or not as um, he's, he's not as focused on, say, what Russia is doing or what Cuba or Venezuela is doing, but he's really focused on what America is doing. And he said, well, it's because I'm American. And he was like, you know, for example, if, if we were to look at the Soviet Union at that time um, during the Cold War, as Americans, mm -hmm. we would never valorize some apparatchik of, you know, the Politburo who was launching, you know, anti-American tirades all day because that would be his job, right? We would actually be sort of valorizing the dissident in the Soviet Union who was criticizing his own government despite the risks. And we wouldn't say that he was necessarily anti-Russian anti or anti-Soviet, but that he was advocating or, or he or she was advocating for you know, um, a, a different, a different approach or a different way of thinking about, you know, what was good for what was good for them. And he was saying that basically that was the role that he as an academic needed to play was to play the part of a dissident, but that for some reason we don't, you know, when we look at the dissidents of a foreign rival or a foreign enemy, like let's say dissidents in China, we don't call them anti-Chinese, right? We call them heroically Chinese in a way, right? From our perspective. And so he's like, just reverse that then, right? Like if you're, a, if you're a dissident in America, well, you know, the same should apply. You wouldn't necessarily need to consider yourself anti-American, but you're just highly dissident, you're, you're critical. 
Um, I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but I think in rest, in kind of grappling with that issue, that's how I think about it, is that there is by necessity always the need for the dissident in any country or any nation, and that that is not a sort of disloyal uh, identity. It's 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 crucial. Um, it's crucial um, for that to for that to exist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There, it's it's a very difficult line to kind of to kind of toe right or, or bound yourself on. Um, there's um, there's a quote by one of my heroes, uh, Paul Robeson. He was an African American uh, singer, performer, and uh, you know. A, socialist activist during the 50s. Um, and he had a great voice. Uh, wow, an amazing voice. Um, but he was uh, interrogated uh, by the House of Un-American Activities during the McCarthy era uh, for visiting the Soviet Union uh, during a trip. And when he came back, he was called into a hearing um, to question his loyalties. And what he said to a senator was, um, quote, you know, my father was a slave and my people died to build this country. I'm going to stay right here and have a part of it just like you. And no fascist minded people like you will drive me from it. Is that clear? Unquote. And that's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. Yeah, it's, man. it's, it's that's, really that's bold. Awesome. That's awesome. I, yeah. Comrade uh. Paul Robeson is, you know, in my heart. Uh, but he, he was making an interesting point, right? Like, what does it mean to be loyal and and what is what does it mean to kind of be here and be a dissident and to to Paul, I think that was some sort of <clears throat> some revolutionary um you know civic drive right it It wasn't you know accept the American state as it is, but be critical of it and and its foundations um but also you've you've played a role in its construction so you have every right to 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 be a part of it the existence you know going forward uh based off of you know the the labor that was stolen from you and, and your ancestors uh, as slaves um it's a little different for for asian americans i definitely would say um but you know we've had a part in this country too, from the railroad era to even the the Filipino sailors who came uh, during uh, the Spanish era, uh, way before um, the the the, Chi the first Chinese started coming here. And so, when we think of it that way, yeah, it is it is kind of a way of of thinking about how do we grapple with this idea of of loyalty or what does it mean to be uh, an immigrant or, or hyphen American and, and how does that play, play out in our resistance to the capitalist imperialist state? Uh, that's, that's one way of, of thinking about it. Um, other people, I would definitely say, um, that given our understanding of the history and the foundations of the United States from the very beginning as a colony to its, to its construction, uh, once it won, it won its independence and, you know, the, the uh, brutal uh, murder and, and stealing of, of, of you know, First Nations and Indigenous Americans, um, a lot of people are, you know, react very strongly to that. And they've come to the conclusion of, you know, we need to abandon the idea 
of America on its foundations and construct something radically different and, and new from that from that previous overthrown foundation. Um, and so Vladimir Lenin kind of talks about this in State and Revolution of like what is to come after the destruction or the overthrow of a bourgeois imperial state. Um, whatever that is, it still bears the scars of that previous state, uh, but it is a state nonetheless. It's it's going to be a new entity with a revolutionary character that seeks to address all of the past wrongs. And so that's another way I would say of thinking about what is what do we how do we contend with the idea of of like are we pro-American? Are we dissidents to America? Or are we for something different that kind of transcends America, uh, if that makes sense? It it yeah, I mean I think the question makes sense. The answers are not so obvious or I think not even so comfortable to uh to ponder. I think Oh yeah, without um, a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I I, 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 I I've always found that when, when you see funny memes um that get you th- laughing, it's because it's it's uh underlying those memes is something slightly uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> uh and I think it's such a I mean I really encourage this kind of discourse and I and I think the the regardless of how one falls on these issues, I think the worst thing you can do avoid is to avoid and fall into this boba liberalism sort of um somnambulance where you just, you know just take take the path of least resistance. And I say that not out of um I say that not out of any sense of moral obligation, but I've found that with age with time and experience that um there is i think you have a link here to an article called uh, on abc7 news uh is there such thing as too much boba uh the answer apparently oh is yes there is such a thing as too much boba uh the doctors found uh more than 100 tapioca balls stuck inside the gut of a 14 year old girl in china and i think that the same is true of boba liberalism that um, it, it, it does, I think, lead to the same kinds of um, ennui and alienation and ultimately grappling th- with things like uh, with um, personal crises of meaning and depression and things like that, which we see a lot more rampant um, in sort of like modern what they call late capitalist society. I see it. It's real. Mm-hmm. I see it in my friends. Um, and, it, you know, it's not so... You know, I, I'm always curious what young people are like these days. They seem to be so much more attuned to this. But in my generation, we weren't. I think it was we were just much more. Um, there really wasn't much space to question this, and there was no need to. Uh, but with time, you realize that you know the the issues that say Mark Fisher brings up um, in a, in a book like Capitalist Realism, they're very real. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, there definitely is too much boba liberalism. And beyond the, the simple question, uh, sorry, beyond the big picture questions of what's right is the question of is avoidance and sort of political somnambulance and even an option. Uh, and I think the long term view for me is absolutely not. You can't you can't go through life like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the questions I always encourage that these topics be discussed rather than avoided. Um, is my take. So kudos for you all uh, for for setting up these, um, well, for coming on the pod, but also for for creating sort of online connections and communities and stuff like that. I think that's definitely the, um, 
it's necessary for people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a piece in the puzzle, I'd say. Um, you know, it, it, it can't just be on Twitter. Um, I, I think we all understand that and that there has to be actual construction of, of radical organizations, of communities uh, that goes on just from goes on beyond from just being really online communist. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and you're right too. It's like, you know, when I, when I talk about boba liberals and boba liberalism, it's, it's not always this hyper accusatory thing, right? It's, it's recognizing too, that there are a lot of people who are still um, Asian American liberals who go through these things, right? You describe like this uni, this, this malaise, the daily grind of, of living under this neoliberal system, right? Of, of not having, you know, enough money to pay off your student loans. You're not sure if your parents are going to have a pension to retire with, you know, your tuition, if you're still in school is, is going crazy. And, and your rent, if you're renting an apartment or your parents live in a rental unit, the rent's going nuts, especially if you're living in Southern California, where where I grew up for a time uh, before I came, I moved to Seattle, uh, and Seattle's pretty bad too. Uh, don't get me wrong, um, but there's all these things, right, that that people go through, and and they realize it sucks, but there's no real way of connecting it to a broader political picture with the the typical boba liberal mindset, and so um, you know, as as a as a communist, uh, I'm not just going to be on Twitter, um, doing polemics too. I have to be out there, you know, meeting people in the streets, talking to people, uh, building organizations to, to, you know, fight for, for, you know, the right for our parents to have pensions and, and a peaceful retirement, but also, uh, for, for the grandparents, uh, outside of our families who, you sometimes see on the, the streets of Chinatown in New York City or San Francisco or Seattle or Los Angeles who are picking cans outside of the trash cans to, to go recycle because they don't have enough money to to, to pay their, their rent. And and those are the things that we're fighting for and and you know it in one portion has to be online propaganda, right? And then in the other hand it has to be on the ground work in, in organizations made to address these issues and, and fight for the perspectives of the people who, who are dealing with the daily grind of capitalist realism and neoliberalism. Well said, well said. I'm humbled because, you know, the way we started plan a was, um, you know, wonder, you know, noticing that there were a lot of Asian guys complaining that, uh, Asian girls didn't want to date them. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm humbled. I'm humbled. That's uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, uh, that was really well said and, uh, you know, we're close to an hour, uh, Creighton, do you, do you have any last, last words for the pod? Any last thoughts to share or um, I just want to reiterate. Oh, um, I'll make it short. I just want to reiterate everything that Redmond said. Yeah, definitely. Please. You know, like the practical acts aspect of it, like, you know, actual praxis is 
really the most important part and like it's fine if you are you know you first come into contact with something or or someone important on twitter or whatever but um you know like making it a part of your life and what you do is also really important reading theory is really important um and and getting out and connecting with people and and a community is also crucial um and action needs to be taken so um yeah yeah and and right. I'm glad that these things are resonating with people. I'm glad because I do think that these kind of things, like socialism is a very instinctive thing. I think a lot of people are already close to it if they're not there yet. And I just want to encourage people to keep learning and keep, um, you know, challenging ideas that they've had for a while or, you know, have been digested all their lives. Um, so, yeah. 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 Well, very well said. I jest, of course. Um, I think um, I should I should uh, not undersell ourselves too much, but I, I guess our perspective was that um, that there are things that I think boba liberals, boba liberals, and other uh, other sort of like politically unengaged Asian Americans actually can't can't really let go of. I think there are certain signs mm-hmm. of 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 racism that they, that just can't seem to over just seem to ignore. And so we always, per you know, we've always been saying, no, keep tugging on the string because ultimately it does lead you to larger and larger questions. Um, mm-hmm. And so hopefully, in some way, we're all sort of pushing in the same direction to sort of say, you got to just open up your field of view. You've got to open up your field of yeah. view, and you can't just, um, you know, you can't just look uh, only down at your own footsteps. So, yeah, yeah. That's our episode for this week. Make sure to hit subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes if you haven't already. That's the biggest thing you can do for us if you enjoy the pod. And please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash planamag. Contributions go into a fund to pay for Asian American writing, which we'll publish on our website, planamag.com. See you next week.